It seems like um, you folks are in the mood to be free and love the Lord, huh? I love that. I love telling my, uh, my grandchildren back in Libertyville who are actually tuned in this morning live streaming with us, uh, Bryce and Adeline. There's nothing greater than, than a grandfather can tell their children and that uh, their grandchildren is that uh, Jesus loves you. Do you know it's the hardest lesson that we have to learn? But hopefully we'll learn a little bit more about that today. We started what we call the Advent season. It has traditionally been the four Sundays before Christmas Day, and those uh, themes have carried out the message of one we heard last week was on hope. Today we hear about love, and then um, next, I don't know what it is next week, but over the next two weeks it'll be peace and joy. Do you know we live in a time right now that desperately needs that message? All of those messages, they need to know about the love of God. They need about the hope of God. I love what Pastor Aaron, what you shared last week. My, uh, even though I was back in Illinois, I, I listened. And we need the message of hope. The, and what I love about that is, is he defined it for us as, uh, may the God of hope as revealed in uh, Romans 15, uh, fill you with joy and peace that you may abound in hope. As he says in, uh, in the Psalms, in Psalm 42 and 43 repeats it several times, three times to be exact, about why we are, why, also, why are you in despair? Why is your countenance dropped? And then he just gives that simple exhortation, hope in God. Hope of God is the expectation of certainty. I was finished with that message last week filled with hope and peace. I love that. Thank you very much for bringing a vital message to us at such a time as this. And today I have the privilege of addressing another theme, and that is that the love of God. Now, the Advent season, as it's been historically given to us through the church, has been a time in which there is a great expectation, something amazing, something unusual that is going to take place. And, uh, and so we talk about these things. And of course, we're talking about the birth of Christ and he is all of these things we talk about. He is love, he is joy, he is peace, he is hope, he's all of those things. And the whole world for years have been hoping, anticipating that. So I'm glad we're doing this theme, and I'm glad I get the theme of love today. But there's a lot of talk this time of year about love. You ever notice that? Now, I don't know if it's all authentic or not. And really, I don't care. I love the fact that we're loving each other and that we sense the need for that. You know, Paul tells us in Romans that we owe no man anything except the debt of love. We can never finally make the final payment on love. Every time we say to someone that we love them, we owe them another payment, and we never exhaust that. God knew that we needed to be loved, loved by Him and loved by one another. And this is the time of year that uh, Hallmark movies (laughs) capture that theme. Now, you may not like Hallmark movies, and some of you men will be a little bit afraid to say that you like it. (laughs) But late at night when nobody's around, you tune in too. And here's what we love about Hallmark movies. Most of them, most of the Hallmark movies end well. 
You know that, I'm so tired of the tragedies that, you know, capture our hearts and our mind, but most of them end well. And it may be a little storybook theme along that line and may be somewhat unrealistic. But you know something? We all love a movie or a life that ends well. You know, we love that. We love that. Somebody told Jen and me about a movie a a number of years ago. a number of years ago now, and so they said, you got to watch it. It's a great, great story. There's some, you know, uh, and just watch it. But the end is a little unusual. So we decided we'd watch it, and we were watching it. And it was a great movie. These, this man and the woman who loved each other deeply and were committed to each other, but he was called off to war. And, and then the movie is about this struggle both from the woman's perspective and the man's perspective, to get back together. And finally they do. And I loved that. I just loved that. I stopped the movie then. I said, Jan, are you happy with where we are in the movie? She said, I am. This is the end of it. We shut it off, and I don't know how the movie ends. But for us, it was a great love story ending. Now, I can speculate what may have gone on, but I don't care. I love the way I ended it. It was great because we like stories that end with love. And the greatest, (laughs) the greatest love story that has ever been told, because I've read the book, I can tell you, it ends well. God comes back for his bride. We are that bride. Around the Christmas theme and the stories that we read, there is a, there's a great love story that is captured in Mary and Joseph. Now, I know that we read that in the Scriptures, and some of us got to see a little bit different perspective on that when we watched The Chosen, the, the birth of Christ, and so forth. And uh, I don't know, some people get a little upset because it's out of order. I'm going to straighten it out this morning. We'll give it in order, okay? And I, but I love that. I just love the fact that it kind of fleshes things out for us, and we can see it in a different perspective. But if you go back in history and you see the marriage custom that was at that time, it was not unusual to have arranged marriages. Sometimes the bride or the groom could give contributions to that, and, and maybe, we speculate, maybe Mary saw Joseph one day. Or maybe Joseph saw Mary, but then they would have to go to the parents and say, this is the marriage that I want. And then the parents would work that out. And during that first initial contract was called the betrothal, or it was the what we would call the engagement, but it was much more serious than that because it was actually the recognition of the union of the two of them. Now, they did not consummate the marriage at that time. In fact, they didn't even live together. They were separated from each other. But this was a time of preparation when both the groom and the bride could get ready for that wonderful occasion in which they would go down and be with the groom coming uh, for the bride. And it would be with a a great procession that would take place. And and then the others, the, the woman gathered there and all of them, then they would go off and they would have a celebration for five, six, seven days as the marriage was now consummated and they would celebrate that. 
So their betrothal or their engagement was the same as a marriage commitment. I believe that, uh, I'm not sure of all of marriages, but I believe that Joseph and Mary loved each other. I see that with the compassion that uh, Joseph had towards Mary. And, but you have to understand this, that there was something that was going to take place that had never taken place before. It had been promised for years, but now something new was going to take place, and that is the birth of our Savior, and it would be born through a virgin, and that virgin was Mary. So Mary was told by Gabriel, uh, it talks about her being favored in Luke chapter 1, talks about being the favored one, and, and she would be with child, and she said, how is this possible? I, I'm a virgin. I mean, I, I've never had any relationship. How is this possible? And then it reminds, Gabriel reminds of the fact that Elizabeth in her old age was pregnant. And then finally, it was just simply this, that with a man, these things are impossible. With God, all things are possible. And so Mary then would understand that she was pregnant by, uh, by God and had the Son of God within her. There's reasons that we could look at all of that and why it had to be of that line and so forth. And you can look at that if you wish, but uh, those are the details that you'll have to do at another time. What I'm looking at is the fact that suddenly, in the betrothal period, Mary was pregnant. And somewhere, she would have to tell Joseph that. Now, we do know, as Matthew records for us, that when it was told, whenever that was told, that it caused Joseph to be deeply troubled. Wouldn't you be? And and then, wouldn't you be a little surprised at the story, I'm carrying God in me? I mean, I'm just thinking on the horizon here. That, That would be... Stretching it, and, and, and you know, but he then um, has a visit, and this is where I see the love of God that's being demonstrated. There are two things that I see God demonstrating: not the fact that he was also, that he was coming. That's obviously the love story, but I love the way he loved Mary and Joseph, these unique, special vessels of God that were going to bring into the world Emmanuel, God with us. What he did for Joseph was this. He, in his sleep, had a visitation of angels as well. And the angel said, I'm telling you, what has been spoken is true. This is exactly what's taking place. And he then, Joseph, purposes in his heart, even though he could have separated himself from Mary, even though he could have had her stoned for being unfaithful, he believed God, and in believing God, he loved Mary. And that was not an easy thing for them to do because this is, and I'll get to Mary in a moment, because I think God did Joseph a tremendous love favor by telling him, this is really what's happening, Joseph. This is what I've promised for years, and now it's coming to play. You have to understand something. Joseph, with a dream from the angel, believed that. Mary, with the manifestation of Gabriel, believed that. 
but there was a whole world around them that would see Mary was pregnant during the betrothal period, during the engagement. What would they be saying? Well, if there was ever a time that love needed to unite a couple, it was this time. As the words perhaps would be whispered, as words would be spoken, and laughed perhaps. I mean, you have to read into this a little. Laughed at perhaps when people would say, well, what did she say? Oh, she said she's carrying baby Jesus. What? Are you kidding me? Joseph must be a fool. I think that even though Joseph and Mary were at peace, I think their souls were also tormented, and they needed the reassurance from God that they were the vessel. I love what I find in Luke chapter 1, and you can turn there with me, because Mary now, Joseph brought to peace by the uh, angel's visit in his dream, but then we, say, we see that Mary goes up to be with Elizabeth in Luke chapter 1, verse 39. Mary needed affirmation from the, from the horizon, someone. Now, at that time, Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country, to, a city, to the city of Ju- Judah. Now, you, you, you might imagine then when it talks about that she went in a hurry that why was she going in a hurry? Was there, was there a fear of being seen in public? I don't know. And entered the, the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. Now here's where the love of God is manifested. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, and she was carrying John the Baptist at this time, the baby leapt within, leaped within her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. You're talking about words that were sweet to the ears of Mary. Oh, someone else believes this. Someone else knows. I can be at peace on that, and it goes on. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. These would be verses for uh, certainly, when does life begin? It should remind us to pray about some of the decisions that are going on even right now in our Supreme Court. And then it goes on. It says, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. You want to know how Mary responded to this? You want to know the joy that was in her heart, that there was someone? And Mary said, verse 46, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior, for he has heard, for he's had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. And for, and, and for behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon the generation from generation towards those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm, and he has scattered all those who are proud in thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, and he has exalted those who are humble. He has, he has filled the hunger with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed, and he has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers and to Abraham and the descendants forever. 
And Mary stayed with her about three months and then returned to her home. Do you not see the love of God that was given to Mary and to Joseph in a very unusual situation that he would give the loving reassurance, you're my vessels, you're my chosen ones, you're my special ones. The story ends well, doesn't it? Jesus is born. Jesus is born. And we know that as a fact today. There's a song that was written a number of years ago, and it says, What the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing that there's just too little love. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. Not just for some, but for everyone. You like that song? I don't. I think this is uh, the lie. I think it's a lie. I don't think the world needs more love. The greatest love that has ever been given to the human race has already been given. We don't need more. We need to tap into the love that is already here. Now, I understand the song, What the World Needs Now is Love, More Love, and that would be the expression of that love. But there's no greater gift of love that has ever been demonstrated to mankind than the gift of the Son of God coming to save us. That's the greatest gift. We just need to tap into that. And you say, well, Mike, how do you know that for certain? Well, I tell you in John chapter 1, 1 John chapter 4, verses 8 and verse 16, it makes this statement very simply. God is love. Repeats it again. God is love. And we can also see, and I'll come to it in a moment, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And we can see that love is there. But God is love. That means an integral part or or an obvious attribute of God is his love. I think about it like this if I were trying to discover who all God is in terms of his mercy and his love and his, his holiness and, and his righteousness and his power and his, I would think I'd be going through door after door after door of, of seeing who God is. I think I would fall into this great chamber of love and I would realize that all that God is and all that he emanates comes from this great resource of his love. And I know that he's always been that way. If, he's, if he is love, then I need to establish, is he eternal? Genesis 1 tells us, in the beginning, God. John 1 tells us, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning. We read about it in Exodus chapter 3 when Moses was ready to go into the land. And he said, when I go to, to the Pharaoh uh, to have the people released, who shall I say is in me? He said, you just tell him this. I am that I am. I'm the eternal self-existing one that needs no sustaining influence in my life. He's the eternal being. So here it is, folks. If God is love and he is eternal, and he has always been, then wherever God is, there is love there. Now, it may not be tapped into, but it's there. We don't need more. We just need to realize what that is. So, okay, so when we talk about God's love then, and I feel a little bit like Pastor Aaron when you start opening up the subject of hope, how do you, how do you corral this in for an understanding? And so I have to be Sensitive to our time, even though we're only at one service, I, I think 
uh, we'll be conscious of the time that we should be out by noon. And then... <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've, tried, I've looked at this issue of love for a long time. I think, uh, you know, when you're young and you've fallen in love, you think, and, um, and you've fallen in love with love. It's, it's a magic moment. And then love kicks you in the teeth, and you think, oh my goodness, if that was love... Either I have a wrong definition or I want nothing else to do with that. That's too painful. And so a large part of my life I've actually spent searching for the definition of love. And it's an evolving thing. And I'll just tell you where I'm at right now, where I've concluded what love is. Love is a manifested, unconditional commitment to an imperfect person, in which one seeks the highest good for another by advancing God's cause in that life. That's where I'm at so far in this process. It's a manifested unconditional commitment. I used to say it's an unconditional commitment, but if it's an unconditional commitment without expression, it doesn't have any meaning. We could have said God so loved the world But then it goes with demonstration that he gave his only begotten son. You see, love has to have a demonstrated aspect to that. And it's to an imperfect person. Pastor Tom referred to that. God committed his love towards us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And what I'm seeking to do then as a one filled with the love of God, I'm seeking then to advance the highest good in that person's life by sharing the truths of God, so that we might glorify God together. You know, for a long time, I have prayed of the mornings, and I've shared this with you, that I wake up and I say, good morning, Lord. I love you. This is your servant, Mike, reporting for duty. Just in this recent time, probably less than a year, I've added to that. I now say to him, good morning, Lord. I love you. This is your servant, Mike, reporting for duty. Fill me with your love that I might love those with whom I make contact today, that they might glorify you. That's really what I want my life to be about in that sense. And so I pray that way. Isn't that really what God's love is all about? And his on a much higher level, but certainly in essence, that's what it's all about. He reaches out to us, imperfect people, in order to give to us this eternal life. That we might better understand who he is and glorify him. Really what it's all about. I remember when I was teaching out at the prison a number of years ago, and I was teaching on 1 Corinthians 13. And I came down to, in this description of love, which I really believe describes God's love, but verse 8 says, actually verse 7, it says, it bears all things, believes all things, speaking of love, hopes all things, endures all things. And when I looked at that, when I think of that bears all things, the, the better rendition of that interpretation would have been covers all things, believes all things hopes all things, endures all things. And then it says in verse 8, that love never fails. When you think about that, if you really love a person, 
you go to them in their state of imperfection and you throw over them a blanket of love which allows them to have a protective covering over them. And they themselves at, the time, at that time in their life may not even believe that there's any deliverance for them, but you believe it for them. And you hope for them. You expect something to come out of this. And you're there. You endure it until it finally materializes. Isn't that a great love? When I shared this out at the prison, one of the men came up to me and he said, had I known that kind of love in my early life, I wouldn't be here today. Isn't that the truth? If we'd known that, somebody that cared for us enough not to ridicule or expose us or to make themselves better at our expense, but someone that would say, I'm just going to throw this blanket of love over you and I'm going to allow you time of acceptance, time of understanding, time of hope. I want to be here until I see the fulfillment of that take place in your life. If I say nothing else to you this morning, that rings a note. Let that ring a note within you. You need to love others that way. You need to do as Philippians says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. That simply means hang out a shingle that says, I'm available for business. If you need to know about God and his love and his truth, I'm available. And I'll tell you about that. There's no other message on our lips or our lives than the message of the love of Jesus and what he's done for us. Love didn't start in the New Testament. As I said, wherever God is, there has to be love. And I see great expressions of God's love in the Old Testament. The very creation is an expression of his love. What a perfect environment he created for Adam and Eve. What a perfect relationship of joy and peace and celebration. And I believe that that love story that started there, tainted and destroyed by sin, restored by the Savior Jesus Christ, and the promise of his coming will be started again in the new heavens and the new earth. And it will be as if Jesus back here in the garden and all of this beauty that he created out of his love and compassion for mankind will say after all this intermittent period and all this disturbance, it will say, now where were we? What was that we were talking about? And the love story will go on and on throughout eternity. I haven't time to fully share all on this. Let me just give you a couple of verses that demonstrate this. In Exodus 34, 6 and 7, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious Lord, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. God's love, Exodus 34. Jeremiah 31, 20 says, is not Ephraim my dear son, the child in whom I delight? Though I often speak against him, I still remember him. Therefore, my heart yearns for him. I have great compassion for him, declares the Lord. I could see in Psalm 45, 14 to 17, the Lord upholds all those who fall and lifts up all of those who are bowed down. The eyes of all who look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy their desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all of his ways and loving towards all he has made. And there are other verses, but as then I said, I haven't time to develop all of that. Just believe me that it's always existed. But now we find 
in the book of Hebrews chapter 1, when it's talking about the better way, it says this way in Hebrew 1, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets and many portions and many ways. That means in progressive revelation, God has always been speaking to his people and to mankind. He's always been speaking through the prophets, through different circumstances, to all the topology that is there, everything he's been speaking, all that we see in the temple, all we see with the sacrificial system, all of those point to Jesus. But he says, God has spoken to the fathers and, and the prophets in many portions and in many ways in these last days has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, to whom also he made the, the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. And it goes on saying, in other words, all of the shadows of the Old Testament, now the substance that has created that shadow is here, God himself. And he wants us now to fall in love with the true substance. You can well imagine that during the military days when I was separated from Jan and we were thinking and obviously moving towards marriage and I had a picture of her and I looked at that picture. You know, we only had a very small personal area in the military that was ours and Jan had a obvious place in that and there was a picture and I loved her. And, and whenever I could, I, in my billfold, I carry it and I look at it. You know, that's the woman I love. This is the woman I love. Now you can imagine how foolish I would be having then gotten to see her right after Christmas, and we got married in January, or right after Christmas, if she was right there in my presence, and I would reach into my billfold and pull out a picture of her, and I would keep studying the picture. You'd say, hey, she's right there in living flesh. And I look at all of the shadowy types in the Old Testament, and all of those give promise and hope. But now, Emmanuel, God with us, we can see him as he is. Galatians 4, 4 says, but when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that they might receive the adoptions as sons. So, love then has given us an amazing gift. Now, I want to do something for you. I want to open that gift for you this morning very quickly as we move in this way. You know, have you seen those Russian dolls that um, there's a bigger doll, and then you open it up, and there's another doll in it, and you open it up, and there's another doll in it. You open it up, there's another doll in it. I don't know the significance of that, but never get me anything like that eventually I want to get to the substance. And they have now boxes like that. You can have a box, you open the big box, and you open that, and there's another box, and you open that, and there's another box, and you open that. So I want to take the principle, but I want to give you something in every box as we open it up, okay? I love this time of, of uh, Christmas, that, and I love this, the process of gift giving. I'm okay with that, you know. Uh, some of the materialism can go, but I love the gift giving. And I love the indiscriminate nature of a small child. They have no regards for the pain and effort that went to make that package beautiful. (laughs) And they have seemingly very little regard for the gift was in it because when that one's done, they toss it aside and reach for another one and rip it open and toss it aside and rip the snack. And finally, you've got absolute chaos, but the kid is happy as can be. You know that? 
Well, I want to open some of those gifts for you, and I want you to be a, a little unsophisticated with me, will you? I want you to be a little excited about some of these gifts and see these gifts of love. Because God loves us, God loved you enough, first gift, to die for you when you were in a state of rebellion against Him. Romans 5a says, but God showed His great love for us in sending, his, in sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Wow, God, what a gift. None of you are deserving of that gift. I can't preach on all of these. I just have to keep opening gifts. God loves you so much that He sacrificed His Son for you. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believed in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Oh, that's a gift that I don't want to toss aside too quickly. I want to sit there and I want to say, Oh God, You did that for me. Hmm. God chose you because He loves you to adoption. God decided in advance to adopt us into His own family by bringing us to Himself through Jesus Christ. That is what He wanted to do, and it gave Him great pleasure, according to Ephesians 1.5. Even before we were there, He was going to call us unto Himself. You know, when we have children the natural way, we're stuck with them. This is what I love about adoption. Adoption is a choice of love. I love that. And God's adopting us was a choice of love. I was not part of his family initially. In fact, Romans 8, 44 says, You are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father you will do as a liar and a murderer. I followed the way of the principality of this world. I was of the kingdom of darkness. But God, seeing me in that miserable orphanage, I'll take you. And then when he takes me in, he calls me his child because he loves me. See how great, see how much our Father loves us, according to 1 John 3, 1, that He calls us His children, and that is what we are. We are His children. Another gift we open up, our fifth one. When you fully experience God's love, you have nothing to fear. In this world, that seems to be the predominant theme, doesn't it? We're driven by fear. But when I'm drawn in, listen to what he says here. So, such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love, First John four eighteen. When you understand that God loves you no matter what, you no longer need to be afraid of, of, your fall, of your fallings or your failings, causing Him to cease to love you. If you could only come truly to understand the depth of His love, you would have no fear. Do you know 
that because of the eternality of God and because he is love, God can and has only loved you with one love. There are not degrees in his love. There can't be. If, he, if he's less God than he is at one time, that is less love than he is, then he's less God. If he's more love than he is at another time, then he wasn't God back here. He's always been love. And when he expresses his love to you, it is the best love that he has to offer. And it's the only love that he ever offers to us. Now, you may not always be in a position to receive that because of the sin and, and when you get out of fellowship with him. But it doesn't mean that he quits loving you. You know, I hear parents saying that when they're going to discipline their child. This hurts me more than it does you. Well, then take my place. <laughs> God loves you. Oh, let's open more. Let's, see, I, I see, this is one of the... Uh, you are secure in your relationship with God and His love that nothing can ever separate you from God's love. We find that in Romans 8. Can anything ever separate us from God's love? Does it mean that he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or persecuted or hunger or or destitute or danger or threatening or death? No, despite all of these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. About six more gifts to open, okay? We're making a mess. We're making a mess. God's love is a shield surrounding you and keeping you safe. This is in Psalm 5, verse 11 and 12. Let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them sing joyfully, joyful praises forever. Spread your protection over them that all who love your name will be filled with joy for you, bless, for you are blessed of God. He surrounds you with a shield of love, Psalm 5, 11 and 12. God's love is a shield around you. God, God cares when you are suffering because he loves you. In Psalm 31, verse 7, I will be glad and rejoice in your unfailing love, for you have seen my troubles and you care about the anguish of my soul. Now That's a gift we just want to sit and camp at for a little while. We've had anguish of soul. How about three more here? Even when things seem hopeless, and this is what Pastor Aaron talked about last week, even when seems, things, uh, seem, things seem hopeless, you can hope in God because He loves you. And I think you quoted from Lamentations last week, Pastor Aaron. I will, forever, I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss, yet I will dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of, of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is His faithfulness. His mercies begin fresh each morning. Lamentations 3, 20 and 23. God loves us and He gives us His Holy Spirit because He wants us to be filled with His love. Romans 5, 5 talks about when the Spirit of God is given to you, you are filled with His love. And my last gift that I open here, God loves us as an example of what it means to sacrifice and serve others out of love. I could go to, uh, to John chapter 13 and I see everybody knowing that the feet should have been washed and yet Jesus is the one that washes the disciples' feet. He who made the feet is now washing the feet out of an act of love. 
Why would he do this? And he said, you do, you do the same thing. You love in that same way. And that's why God puts his love in us so that his love may overflow to others. I think the world does need love. It doesn't need more love in the sense of the horizontal aspect. The world needs love that God has put within our hearts. And so far in my 76 years of existence, I have never run into anyone that has ever said to me, please don't love me anymore. I've had enough. You have in your soul exactly what the world needs. And all you have to do is let it flow. You don't have to change anybody's life. You don't have to save anybody. You just have to love them enough to tell them about Jesus, period. The song was written in the um, 1800s by uh, two sisters. They kind of collaborated on this. One wrote it as a poem initially, and they had uh, been born... um, into some level of comfort and wealth, but all of that was lost in, in the 18, early 1800s with a financial fall and some of the investments that the father had made, and they lived in a very small house. In fact, they ministered to the cadets at West Point. They went there every Sunday. It was the goal of this woman, Anna Warren, it was the goal of this woman to write a hymn every month that she could share with them. The only two people that are non-military people that are buried at West Point are these two women. Her sister died about 15 years before she did. Anna died in 1915. And these are the words. And the words were written... They wrote many novels, many novels. They wrote these. It was their means of making an income. They never married. It was a means of making an income. And this particular song came in the context of um, a little boy in the novel who was dying. And the poem went something like this. Jesus loves you. He loves me. Well, you know it. Sing it with me. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to Him belong. They are weak, but He These words were added by the musician. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. He loves you. And because he first loved us, we can love. And we can even say to the Lord, 
I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to thank you for some of the gifts that we've looked at. We didn't exhaust the list. We just looked at a few. What amazing gifts. And we have that resident within us because of what you've done for us. Oh, there may be some that don't know about that love, and I pray that today would be the day that they would reach out in belief, in faith, and receive that gift that you offer of love and eternal life and forgiveness. And for those of us who know you, Lord, may it be a fresh anointing of your Spirit, a filling of your Spirit so that the love of God fills and overflows like streams of living water, Lord, to those about us. Thank you, Lord. 